Hey guys, I want to thank you for tuning in and making the Youth in Culture podcast a part of your day today. I am your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I am joined with my co-host, David Pinkham. Happy Friday, guys. It's good to be here with you. Uh, if you have been listening to the podcast for a while and you have not hit subscribed, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Also, leave us a rating and review. That does help uh, our podcast uh, just to make it a little bit more available for those who are searching for youth ministry uh, content. Uh, this week's topic, again, David had, a, had an awesome interview and opportunity to talk to two guys that I do not know very well at all. And I'll let, he, let him talk about them here in just a minute. But the topic we're talking about is something that quite honest with you that I've kind of avoided uh, the last month uh, just because I felt like there wasn't much I could add to the topic personally and also just because of uh, just a fear to be honest with you just a fear of saying something wrong and that was just just topic of racism and just racial issues within our country and what we're dealing with culturally and how that translates into the church. Um, so I'm really thankful that David had an opportunity to talk to um, two of his good friends about this topic. And I'll let David kind of talk a little bit about uh, who he interviewed. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. Um, I've known Brandon Whitmire. He's the youth pastor over at Midlothian Baptist Church uh, here in Virginia. And I've known him for a few years. Uh, we were both at Liberty together. We both uh, served at the church that we went to in Lynchburg. And uh, I think I came out to this area slightly before him. And then he came out here and he started working at a church. And one of his uh, youth leaders, actually the guy that I think he jokingly refers to him as, as his, not his right hand, but his right arm. Uh, his name is Alex Holiday, And uh, they do ministry together constantly. Um, Alex also works at the church. And because of that, they get to have a lot of interaction together. And I've noticed that uh, over the last several months, as a lot of this stuff has kind of blown up in our country, uh, Brandon and Alex have sought to be a part of the conversation to drive things towards a solution. Um, and uh, one of the things that I think makes that beneficial for them as a team is that Brandon is a white guy and Alex is a black guy. So it's two guys that are uh, willing to work together, have an excellent relationship. Uh, they do stuff together all, all the time. They're really good friends. I think that's a great team to look at to just have a conversation about this issue of racism in America. Specifically, uh, we did focus in the conversation on kind of how that affects youth ministry and how we as youth ministers and youth ministries can be a part of the solution rather than continuing the problem. And we do pick up on a few of these issues like, you know, what's like appropriate to say or what kind of conversations should we be focusing on. So 
one of the things you'll notice in the interview is we don't cover everything. Uh, we can't. Uh, it's just there's not enough time and there's too many things to discuss. Uh, so we do narrow it down at the beginning of the conversation so that people know what to expect. Uh, but honestly, I think it was a really productive conversation. No, absolutely. And I felt like the the interview, the conversation uh, talked about uh, this issue of racism within youth ministry in a way that I don't think a lot of people have been talking about last month. Uh, so I was really excited uh, to hear uh, from Brandon and Alex specifically on their perspective and how to be more effective in addressing this within uh, youth ministry content context. So stay tuned as we talk with Brandon Whitmire and Alex Allen. Hey guys, uh, thank you for hopping on the podcast today. Again, just really excited to have you here. And uh, today we're going to be covering, uh, I guess you could say this is a, not just an important topic, but uh, some would call it volatile, um, but I think it's a necessary conversation to have uh, in light of what's been going on in our country for the last couple of weeks. And I think we're going on about a month now as the uh, point of this um, this recording. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about uh, racism and racial issues uh, and how that affects youth ministry and how we in the youth ministry world can have a positive effect on the, uh, the racial issue in our country today. And uh, really with the goal of being part of the solution instead of part of the problem. So today I have some special guests with me. I've got a couple of friends I've known for a couple of years in youth ministry. Uh, we see each other once every um, month or two when we get together, unless there's a lockdown, then we have to wait a little longer. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to introduce these guys to you today. And so um, I'm going to let them go ahead and just tell you a little bit about themselves. Um, I've got Brandon Whitmire, who's a youth pastor in the area, and then his right what hand, up? Alex Holiday. So guys, hey, why don't you introduce yourselves and just uh, tell everybody a little bit about you. All right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm Brandon, or as the kids in my youth group know me, Pastor B. Um, been working at Midlothian Baptist Church uh, here in Midlothian, Virginia, just a little bit outside of the the great city of Richmond, and been here three years, going on four. I love it. Got a wonderful wife, beautiful wife, and, a, and an amazing, almost nine-month-old baby girl named Karis. Uh, a cute kid, man. That. Yeah, she is. She's got two little teeth coming in now. So, um, but that's about all we'll talk about her because I don't want any creepers, you know, finding out who she is or tracking <laughs> her down or whatever. I hear you, man. <laughs> oh yeah. Got to keep the creepers away. But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm a pastor's son, love ministry, love the Lord and, uh, excited to be talking about this issue. Um, well, excited me might be the wrong word, but it's something that I have become passionate about especially very recently here, but I'll let uh, my, and, and right-hand man is, is more of a disservice to him and what he does. He's more of my right arm. Um, like the, the reason you, you're not been fired yet. Uh, a, a lot of that too. It might be uh, it. He, he keeps me in line. My, uh, my wife, whenever she, you know, wants something she says validated, she says, go talk to Alex. So without any further ado, I'll let Alex introduce himself. 
Hey guys, I'm Alex. Nice to meet you all and talk to you all. So I've been, I've been, let's see, working at the church for about, I would say five years and been going to church for 10 years here. And before Brandon got, uh, got there and was the youth pastor, I was, me and a couple other leaders were the youth pastors for about a year and a half. So yeah, so that's, that's all on that. But this topic really is a big thing for me because I'm an African-American, so this really, it really hits home for me and just having these conversations, it really helps us bond and get together and just figure out how we can figure this out within the church and youth ministry as a whole. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to have you guys here. And uh, we, we've had a couple conversations um, before we started recording this episode, um, because as many of you probably know, if you've been paying attention to the news, um, this particular issue can have uh, many, many facets of conversation. There's, there's a lot, there's a wide range of things that we could discuss. And because this is a youth ministry podcast, uh, we're going to try to narrow that down and stay in a couple of lanes um, so that we're not getting caught up in the weeds, which as you know, in youth ministry, it's very easy to get sidetracked and just chase some bunnies down some trails. And so um, there are going to be a few things we don't talk about today. Which um, I know if, you, if you're like me and you like to listen to podcasts, as you listen to someone talk about a topic, you're already automatically thinking of, well, he didn't mention this or she didn't say that. Or what about this aspect of it? Well, we're aware that there is a ton of different aspects of this conversation. And so there's a few that we're going to avoid, not because they are unimportant and not because they are wrong. It's just because um, there's too much to talk about that we're not going to be able to get through it in like 30, 45 minutes. Uh, we could literally talk about this for like a week and still not be done. So uh, we're not going to be talking about um, uh, several issues. Uh, the two big ones that we discussed that we're just not going to cover today is black and black crime or abortion. Um, and, and we're not going to go down those roads because um, those are things that while they are important um, and they're part of the conversation, we're not going to cover them today. Um, so just, for those of you who are listening and are wondering what we're going to cover, the, the real issue that we're going to try to hit is uh, how we can be a part of the solution from a youth ministry standpoint and uh, some of the things that we can point our students to so that as they become the next generation of leaders in our country, uh, they have already thought about and talked about and gone through some of these things so that they don't come back around and bite us in the butt like they have this time. Well, I think it's important to note, too, it's not that, you know, black on black crime and abortion aren't a part of the discussion, but it's, you know, I love Alex has got a great analogy, which I think he ought to bring up. Yeah. But it's just, you know, when we talk about these issues, it's a common thing for especially like, I mean, I'm, I'm white, obviously, you can hear it in my voice. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm, I am blonde haired, blue eyed man. And uh, so. You know, it's, you know, it would be common for me even just a few years ago to go, okay, well, you're talking about these issues that have come up, like, you know, the issues of, of blacks being, you know, killed by police, pe policemen, I almost called them police people. Um, but, you know, you, you see, you know, and I would bring this up and say, well, what about black on black crime? Or what about, you know, abortion? Don't they care about that? And it's not that they don't care about it. It's it's they know about it, but it's not the issue at hand. And and Alex, I love your analogy that you've you've picked up on. So you know, why don't you share it? You know, just so that 
it, it's even just so that our, the listeners know even more why we don't want to get into these other kind of, I'm, I'm going to call them periphery issues, yeah. even though they're, they may not be periphery issues. I'm going to call them periphery issues on this particular. Issue. All right. So, yeah. So like David Brown saying, it's not that black people don't acknowledge these things or happening. It's just that there's, that this issue right now is the most pertinent thing. And the analogy I like to give people, and I think it's, it really helps because everyone's been through it, is that we're at a funeral right now, and the funeral and the person in the casket is this issue of racism and police brutality. And think about it, when you're at a funeral and you're seeing the person there, are we really going to want to be talking about, well, hey, what about this? And, hey, you know, the other person, he was, no, we're not going to, we don't want to bring up these other topics, not because they're not important, but it's because that the focus is that person and the person is this issue. And that we're not, it's not saying we're not going to talk about it, it's saying we're going to push it back a little bit and talk about and figure out this issue first. And then we're going to get to the next one. So that's, that's what I like to say. So we're at a funeral right now and we're just in the midst of it still. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great analogy because hopefully we're all aware that there are aspects of life that you enter a situation and you already automatically know that there are certain things you just don't talk about. Um, not because they're not worth talking about, but because this is not the time or the place for it. And um, and that's, you know, I've got, you'll learn this soon, Brandon, but um, my girls ask me questions and I'm like, mm, you're not old enough to understand yet. So uh, I'll tell you in a few years, you know, and so we have, and even with some of the things my wife and I talk about, my oldest daughter will overhear us and she'll ask a question and we'll be like, mm, it's not really a kid conversation. <laughs> not that it's inappropriate or bad. It's just, you aren't ready or that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this over here. Um, so with that being said, um, one of the, one of the biggest issues that I think we should probably just off the bat talk about, and I want to ask y'all's opinion on, um, is, uh, just simply is racism a problem in the, in the youth ministry realm, in the world of youth ministry? Well, David, the simple answer to your question, at least in my opinion, and then Alex, you can chime in later if you want. The simple answer is yes, it is a problem. I, I don't necessarily think it matters where you are in the country. Um, I mean, now there are some factors where your location will play a little bit more into the conversation, but we all have, you know, what I like to call social conditioning or, um, or, or just biases in general. I mean, we've talked about off-broadcast already before we started recording that you know, you'll notice that certain groups will gravitate to each other. I mean, think about back to when you were in high school. Now, I went to a high school that was predominantly you know, white because of the area that I lived in, but we even still had our biases and things even within that, and it's very natural for a teenager to go and be with the group of people that they're comfortable with. Birds and of feather. So, exactly. Yeah. And so <laughs> even if it's not like outwardly, racist i think we do have racist tendencies that we need to address you know the bible talks about it's the sin of partiality and we all have things that we're partial to you know and then you add into the fact that i believe you know and and you guys can correct me if you think i'm wrong but i believe racism is is really a learned trait especially in the form that it's taken on a lot of here and you learn it from who your parents the people that influence you there's a there's a, a really a good movie um, that you can watch, but not with your teenagers. It's not a youth approved movie, 
but it sheds some light on this. Uh, it's an old Edward Norton movie from the late 90s. It's called American History X. And Edward Norton plays a, a character who's basically been a neo-Nazi for most of his teenage life. And he goes to jail because he killed, some, killed a black guy. And when he comes out of jail, he's been reformed because he, he found that things weren't actually the way he thought it was. But it all started with some simple comments that his dad, before his dad had died in a, spoiler alert, his dad dies early on in the movie. Um, but his you dad, haven't seen the movie by now. <laughs> um, but his dad makes some really, you know, his dad wouldn't consider himself a racist, but he makes some underhanded racist comments about some material that a teacher at school who happened to be black was having his son read. And it was just those little things that when something happened to his dad then, that he becomes this racist, but it was something that's learned. Or even another example that I've used in a lot of conversations, you know, although my parents are not racist, um, even little things is like when I learned how to drive, I grew up in Pennsylvania um, on the far eastern edge of Lancaster County, like basically on the edge of Lancaster and Berks County, um, which, you know, the next closest city really to me would be Reading, which is a fairly big city in Pennsylvania. You got Philadelphia, Harrisburg, and Pittsburgh, the three big, anyways, that's off topic. But when we would go into, into Reading, or if I was, when I was learning to drive, dad would say, hey, if you're going to the mall with your friends, or you're going into Reading to go somewhere, stay away from this part of town. Well, then, you know, sometimes on a Sunday, we'd go out to dinner after church as a family, and then dad would make a hospital visit because my, you know, my dad's a pastor. And we'd drive through the parts of town that he would tell me not to go to. And I'd look around, and what do I see? It's 85 to 95% black in that neighborhood. You know, it's black people, African Americans, or, or the phrase now is people of color, you know, POC. Um, and so I'd look around, and, and although dad wasn't saying, don't go into that neighborhood because there are black people there, he was saying, don't go in there, you know, because I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get in trouble my mind as a 16, 17 year old is going, Oh, maybe I shouldn't go into neighborhoods that are predominantly black because something bad's going to happen. You know, and even though dad didn't mean it to be racist, it still came across as racist because he really didn't clarify his expectation as to why I was going there. So that's why I say it really depends on social conditioning. And then of course the social conditioning can really be amped up depending on where you are. And I've said enough on that. So Alex, if you've got anything you want to answer. Uh, there's not really too much. I think, I think this answer is 50, 50. And the reason it's 50, 50 is because we have to, it is, I think really it comes into where we're at and location. And also how, what you talk about with Brendan, how racism is a learned trait. It's not something that people is well, right, I'm racist. That's not how people are. It's just they've learned it for from parents, people they know. And because you think about it, kids, kids play with people the opposite race all the time and they think nothing of it. And then you, it's just when people, when they get a bug in the ear from the older people, that's when it happens. So in youth groups, I think it's just they've, it's just what they've heard growing up or they've heard from either their teachers or they've heard from, people they look up to older older kids or mentors and that and then unfortunately their opinions are then formed that way and they and they just think that way. So that's that's just my thought into it. Yeah, I I think I would tend to agree with you guys. Um I, I look back at the my own history and I don't think I knew 
about the concept of race until middle school. Um, I, it, it just, it didn't really come, uh, the conversations I had, the friends that I had when I was a kid, um, one of my best friends, and I think kindergarten, his name was Ford. Um, I, I didn't know he was a black kid. I just, I just, his name was Ford. <laughs> I didn't go home and be like, Hey mom, my black friend, blah, blah, blah. I just was like, Hey, me and Ford were playing out in the playground today. And, uh, and, um, you know, and it was no big deal. Um, but I mean, I do remember, um, I don't think I told you guys this, but I do remember there was a conversation that a group of us had probably early elementary school. Um, and the mind of a child, right. Um, we wanted to know if like me and a couple of my other white friends tasted like vanilla and if our black friends tasted like chocolate and if the redheads tasted like strawberry, that was like a legit conversation that happened at one point, <laughs> you know, and, and there were like, and the couple of the student, the other kids were like, well, can I lick your arm and see? And it was like, oh gracious. Oh, eight year olds. Anyway. Um, you know, but that was, that was something that like, that's, that's where they go with it. That's where we went with it at that age was like, you know, what flavor are you not? you know, how are you worse or how am I better kind of thing. And I, I think that was something learned. I, I remember when we first learned about the civil war and slavery and, and all that stuff in my, one of my earlier history classes. And I, it just boggled my mind, um, that this, that there were people out there that thought like this. Um, and you know, I, I didn't know, I don't, I don't, I don't think I really knew how to handle it. And I think that's one of the things that maybe the generation before ours maybe failed at was, teaching us how to handle it instead of just what normally happens in a public school setting, which is allowing your friends to influence the things that you say and the things that you do. And, and so that kind of leads me to my next question for you guys, which is knowing that there is, whether it's a complete hundred percent, yes, a problem or 50, 50, depending on where you're from, when it comes to that, what's the biggest issue facing us as youth ministers when we're, when it comes to, um, racial conciliation and, uh, Brandon, I'd love for you to explain that term. Cause that's something that you brought up in our conversation last week when we were talking about this. Let's, let's change that a little bit. You called it racial conciliation. The, the phrase is actually ethnic conciliation. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm reading a really excellent book, which any youth pastors that are listening out there highly recommend it. In fact, I'm in a, in a cohort with a, a group of pastors from all across the country studying this book with the author. It's called Intentional, Kingdom Ethnicity in a Divided World, and it's written by D.A. Horton. He's a pastor out in California, but it's great. And, and the idea of ethnic conciliation comes from, you know, we hear this term thrown around a lot called racial concil- reconciliation, racial reconciliation. And what Horton says and, and writes is he says, you know, he's got a hesitation with that word racial reconciliation and specifically not necessarily the concept, but the words racial and reconciliation, because he says first racial indicates that there is more than one race, which is really a, a contradiction of God's word. I mean, you look at, you know, for instance, Acts seventeen twenty six, Paul is preaching to uh, the people in Greece, you know, when he's talking about the, the, the statue of the unknown God, and he says to them, you know, we are all from one blood. We're all created from one blood. And so it's contradicting God's word. And so, and then he says, reconciliation implies that we're trying to get back to what we once had, as if at one point 
the various ethnicities within the United States were at a point of conciliation. And so he goes and says, to me, both terms are misleading and operating without the fuller perspective. And it means we're dedicating effort and resources and time to a work that's not supported in scriptural, scripture or even a historical fact. And so if we're focused on the wrong things, the healing that we're looking for is never going to be accomplished. And so what we need to work towards is ethnic conciliation. And what ethnic conciliation is, it's accomplished when we affirm and not ignore or idolize the ethnic heritage of every human being and seek to remove animosity, distrust, and hostility from our interpersonal relationships. And, and I agree with uh, Horton when he says, I believe that the only people qualified to take up the holistic work of ethnic conciliation are those who follow Jesus because we're the only ones who have experienced both conciliation and reconciliation. And the reason he says that, you know, when we're saved, obviously we're reconciled to Christ. But especially here in America, um, when we're saved, we also are, you know, we know that we're adopted into the family and we all become one family. And so that's why he says, you know, as Christians, we have this awesome thing that we've experienced both conciliation and, 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 and reconciliation. And so, you know, as we're moving forward, I don't know about Alex, but, you know, when we talk about it, you know, the, the, what we're really facing is a battle of ethnicities here. Because you look at, at scripture and you see God created one race, the human race, but, you know, we get to the Tower of Babel and that's where we have the first division of people because of, you know, man trying to unify and use their language to, to, um, to place themselves above God. And so God confuses the languages, and that's where we get the ethnicities, because an ethnicity really wasn't originally supposed to be the color of your skin, and it, it was where you're from, your culture, your language. Um, but as you get into the settling of the Americas, then we get into this definition of race as we have it now, which is based off of color. And really, it was the, 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 the colonists that were coming in defining certain things a certain way to make themselves superior to the Native Americans and to the slaves that were being brought in. And so that's where this idea of race as we know it has, has come in. And, and Horton goes into all of that in his book. Um, but so what we want to work towards is ethnic conciliation within our, our youth groups. Um, and that's a big task um, to, to go into. And, and to look at, and, and it's, you know, it's tough. And I don't know if we're ever going to truly, even in our churches, even in our youth groups, I know this sounds like a cop-out answer, but I don't know if we're ever truly going to experience it this side of heaven because we're all fallen and we all are going to have our, our issues. You know, our youth group, we've got issues that we're dealing with and we're addressing it with, with things in our youth group, things that we've heard said and, and the way people have been treated. You know, and like we said earlier, people are going to gravitate towards the people that they're comfortable with, and you're going to have those cliques, whether they're, whether they're different ethnicities or not, you're going to have those cliques, and, and one group of kids is going to be the cool group of kids, and they're going to overpower the other group of kids and make the other group of kids feel less than, whether it's because of the color of the skin or not. And so really, in my mind, it comes back to how do you battle cliques in general in the youth group? You know, and and for us, you know, we've got a set of house rules and they're more like statements of things that we want 
to be said about our youth group. And so they're not necessarily rules of like do's and don'ts. And one of our house rules is everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. And so what we're trying to do is create an environment where everyone feels welcome. And, and I'm not afraid. Alex knows this. I'm not afraid when I see the kids, you know, causing someone to not feel welcome to have conversations with the kids and go, yo, this is not right. What you're saying or doing, you need to knock it off, you know, kind of thing. Um, and so there's, there's deeper answers to that too, but I, I think it starts with, you know, for me and Alex, maybe you can, you know, cause you and I work really closely together. You can kind of go from your perspective, but for me, a lot of it, and I'm still learning on this issue. I'm still reading these books and, and, and looking at these things on how to battle this. So I don't have all the answers right now. Um, but for me, it starts with how do we battle clicks in general? Because that's a lot of, I mean, if you think about it, the idea of clicks and, and racism as we know it, it's almost identical. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, a version of us versus them. Yeah. Almost. Exactly. And, and that's one of the things that, uh, in this particular time period, the us versus them has become volatile uh, yep. in our country. And I think, um, I think that you're right. You know, we may not be able to fix it all in our generation, but I mean, Alex, what are some ways that we can not like necessarily make our students understand, but at least show them, you know, lead the horse to water, so to speak, and help them understand that, this isn't something that's going to go away in a couple of weeks. And this is something that they actually need to have some intentional thought and conversation about. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this issue, this issue isn't new for any of us. We've all, we've seen it. We've seen it on different occasions and I've been, even though I'm black and this affects me, I've had, you have, you still have to do your research about it and look up different things. And one thing that I found out and looked up is that we're in a brick wall experience. And what that means is that, it's an experience that shakes a person to its core. So with, unfortunately with the reason when George Floyd was killed, that shook everyone. That wasn't just it shook one group of people. Everyone got shook and surprised by this whole thing. And so we'll all have to look at it and like, how, how are we supposed to navigate this now? And how are we going to get over basically this brick wall and figure out how, like for us, how are we going to minister to our teens? How are we going to, effectively teach them or at least start the process of, Hey, this happened, these things are going on, but we can make a difference. I think that starts out with, we need to just have open, honest conversations with our youth and teens about this stuff, because you know, if we're going to be, if we're going through it, they are definitely going through it. Also, they are experiencing and talking about these things. They're seeing it in schools and some of us, a few of us, we can get into the schools and see it, but I mean, they're deep in the schools and they're able to see this from their point of view. So they're, they're going to have different points from us. And so we just need to talk to our kids because let's be honest, is this conversation easy to have? It's not easy at all. This is not, it's not fun for anyone. It's not easy trying to figure out, I, this isn't something I thought about. I mean, I know this exists and I see it, but man, now that I have to, think about it on a more constant level now and what things I need to say and what things I need to do to encourage my teens. What am I going to do here? And just talk to them because what there's nothing bad about talking to our teens and know it. They probably have questions also that they want to answer as well, like the rest of us. So 
Yeah, they may Which, just be too scared to ask them. I mean, th- I think that's the whole thing. I think we're scared to ask these questions because one, we don't know, or two, they might, we might think, or they might think they're dumb questions, which in reality, they're probably not bad questions. They're probably the most knowledgeable questions ever, and they're just too afraid to ask it. So as leaders of our youth groups and then other parts of ministry, sometimes we have to initiate those important conversations because guess what? That's going to open the door for them, and we just got to reassure them, hey, there's not a dumb, there's no dumb questions. There's no stupid questions here. This is a big thing, so let's let's extend our hands out to them so they know this is still a safe space to talk about this stuff. And where by us doing this, guess what? There, I think it's going to effectively give them more of a power and drive to go out and tell their friends about, hey, I just learned this at church. My pastor, my leader just told me this, and I want to just tell you this. So it just opens more doors for us. Yeah, and if nothing else, it at least lets them know that it's possible to have a a difficult conversation without yelling and screaming. Oh yeah. I mean, and and if you think about it, David, I mean, we've got as youth pastors, we get, you know, you know, now right now we're all at our youth group. We're only getting to speak into their lives truly once a week on Wednesdays because we're not doing our Sunday meeting right now. But you have a, as a youth pastor, a platform to get up there and, and address those issues. And I think if we're not as youth pastors addressing current event issues, that are coming up, then we're doing our teens a disservice because they're going to hear about it in school. And if they're in a public school, they may not be hearing it from the, you know, getting that, that current event issue from a biblical perspective and interpreting it through the lens of a biblical worldview. And so, you know, like as an example, Alex and I at our youth group, we're, we've been using this last month to really talk about racial issues. You know, so we start off, we talk about, you know, in this series that we're in, we haven't even titled it anything. We just started talking about them. You know, we start off from the base. Everyone's created in the image of God. And, you know, and how does that affect the way you treat people? How does that affect the way you think of yourself, you know, and the value that that gives everybody? We moved from that into talking about, um, you know, that God is a fan of standing up for injustice. He thinks we need to. I mean, you look at the book of Amos or a couple of the other prophets, big reason why Israel went into the exile is because they weren't taking care of the widows, the orphans, the poor. They weren't standing up for the justice issues, the social justice issues of those days and the social justice wrongs or social injustices that were going on. And so you know, we went into that and talked about how it's okay to stand up. And, and we talked about then the, the verse even of be angry and do not sin. And we had the conversation of, if you're affected by this, how can you be angry and not sin? How can you stand up for these issues and not sin? You know, and then we've got a couple other lessons that, are, that we're planning and, and doing through this, but using that time to address the issue from a biblical perspective helps. And then whether you open it up for questions, like Alex said, during the lesson time, or you have one-on-one conversations with those students. I personally, I've learned so much from Alex, you know, you know, having, you know, Alex is my best friend here. And, you know, you know, we moved from Lynchburg over to here three ish years ago, you know, so we left all of our friends, you know, there. And so Alex is my best friend here in, in, at the church. And, and, you know, I spend a lot of time with him. And so as these issues have arisen, I've gone, okay, what is this? You know, what is that? How does this, you know, how can I approach this? 
last Friday was Juneteenth and I had to ask Alex, okay, how do we celebrate this? Do I say happy Juneteenth to you? And you know, is how do, how do I celebrate this as a, as a person who's never celebrated this before? And so having those conversations helps a lot. And that's a great way that you can even break down those clicks. Like I said, whatever we do to break down clicks is, is, is helpful. And a lot of it is just talking and teaching. You're right. I think, I mean, just in general, what, you know, in, in regards to not just this topic particularly, but pretty much everything we do as Christians, we're in the business of breaking down walls and building bridges. I mean, we're, we're basically construction workers um, with relationships. And uh, if, if you don't, if, uh, Brandon just referenced this. If you guys don't know what Juneteenth is, please look it up. Uh, it's something that I think after learning about it myself, the little I know, I think it's something worth celebrating, you know, because it's the, it's the day that um, basically slavery officially ended in our country because the last state, I think it was Texas, right? Yep. Yeah, Texas. Um, finally found out that Abraham Lincoln had freed everybody. <laughs> and uh, it just took them like, what, two years Ish. to get to Texas? Yeah. I mean, you got to think about it. They don't have email. They don't have texting. They don't have Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lincoln just call them up and be like, hey, governor. Yeah, we're done with that. <laughs> Lincoln couldn't Zoom call. I mean, and even if he wanted to, I mean, would they have listened at that point? Oh, that's a good point, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're in the middle of a war. Mm. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's something that's, that's one of those things where you just, you, you've got to have the conversations. You've got to be open to the conversations. I've encouraged the teens in my youth group to sit down and ask their parents um, point blank about this issue and, and get a dialogue going. Um, I have, I don't know about you guys. Um, I have encouraged my students not to take to social media with this. Um, and, and that's just because I have seen even the most, um, no big deal issues blow up in people's faces on Facebook and, and on other social media platforms. And it's not, and it's not just those that are, they, they get angry, they get offensive, they get insulting. Um, it's, it's even the, the stuff that people put up to kind of like cut through the tension and get mm -hmm. some humor. And then someone gets offended by the humor and, um, like someone I just saw posted something the other day. It was a, it was a, it was a white square. There's nothing on it. There was no picture. There was no words. And they were like, Hey guys, look, I finally found a meme that doesn't offend anybody. And I looked through the comments to see if people were laughing because they intended it as a joke. And, and it was, it was a white square, but it had a black border. So it, it people had put hashtags like all borders matter, all memes matter. Like it was just ridiculous. And of course people were getting offended and they started yelling and screaming at each other. And I'm sitting there reading these comments, which I probably shouldn't have been doing because it doesn't help with your mental health. But I was reading through these, like you don't have a conversation that's this highly charged on a social media platform. This is a conversation you have face to face over the phone. If you have to over zoom, yeah. if you have to, but you've got to have it. And something that I mentioned to you guys last week when we were talking, it really helps if you have a prior established relationship with the people that you're talking to, because then there's an aspect of this where you actually know them. So if they do say something stupid, you know that the motivation is not hatred or offense. It's just they managed to shove their foot in their mouth, which I do quite frequently. Um, I shove my foot in my mouth a lot. Um, I don't have a very good filter between brain and mouth. I don't know if you guys figured that out yet. But at least you acknowledge it. You know? yes. and that's, I think that's a good first step. But you're right. Social media right now is a dangerous place to get into discussions we have an outright 
told our kids to, to not engage on social media. Maybe we should have. Um, but, you know, I'll be honest. I don't know how often our kids listen to me on, you know, when I talk to them about social media <laughs> stuff, because I, I can't tell you how many issues we've dealt with on having to correct some behavior in general on social media. Mm, yeah. Um, and so the idea behind telling them, I don't know how much it would have worked on our end. Maybe it would have, but um, I will say our kids in our group, you know, I don't know about you, Alex. I don't know how, how much, you know, I know they've been paying attention, but I don't know how much they've been engaging in that kind of discussion on social media. It's been more the adults from church. Yeah that have been engaging in discussions and that's dangerous too, because, you know, like you said, people are, and I learned this when I, I worked for five years as in the call center at Liberty university as an advisor, um, on the phone or behind a keyboard, people are a lot braver and that filter that you, you know, may or may not have in person have. or should have in person. <laughs> Correct. David, um, <laughs> But that filter is just like gone. Yeah, like it never and, existed. And it's, it, they'll say what they want because they don't feel like there's any repercussions from it. And I've watched friendships and relationships end because of things that are being said on there. You know, at the same time, you know, there's so much of our communication anymore is done through social media. So the biggest thing that I tell, tell people, not just our teens, is just be careful. If you're going to engage in something on social media, especially as a Christian, say a prayer before you post. Ask God to give you the words. If you find yourself getting triggered and angry about something that's posted, take a minute, breathe, calm down. Turn and then the if you're off. still, you know, turn the screen <laughs> off. Yeah. Don't look you know, at it for a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know, take some time. And then, and then if you're still a little fired up and still have something you want to say. You're a little bit in a better bit, a shape of mind, frame of mind to say something. You can think through it a little bit. But I know I find with myself, a lot of times if I just take that minute or two, step away, I get distracted by something else and I forget about what made me mad on social media in the first place. You're, you're right. And, and that's something maybe I should have told my teens this because um, I hardly ever engage on social media. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it just because it, it's, it's had the opposite effect on our culture as it was intended. Um, but if you choose to engage, stay respectful. Yeah. Um, stay, uh, use the rule of confrontation. Stay inquisitive, not accusative. Yes. Um, seek clarification. Seek understanding. Um, something, uh, Brandon and Alex, both of you have mentioned this uh, in subtle ways throughout this conversation, but so essentially it boils down to semantics do matter. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, this is something I asked Alex, I asked you this the last time we talked, um, just so I, I can make sure I understood, but from my understanding, the, um, the phrase that, that, that's been used most often throughout this whole thing is black lives matter. Yeah. And from what you clarified for me last week, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a huge difference between the phrase black lives matter and the organization. Yeah. Black the organization phrase are two separate, completely entities. The organization, they have many questionable motives and where money goes and all of that and just a whole lot of stuff that we don't need to get into. But the, <laughs> There's a lot with them. But the phrase itself, the hashtag Black Lives Matter, that has no relation to the organization whatsoever. That's, that's just saying, hey, Black Lives Matter, and 
It's not saying that black lives only matter. It's not saying, hey, just black lives. It's saying that, hey, black lives are not having a voice right now and we want them to matter. So, hey, black lives matter at this moment. Yeah, and that's and that's not something you're going to get clarification on unless you actually stop and talk to the person right. instead of screaming at them because you see a sign or or sounding off on your keyboard because they posted a hashtag on on social media. Um uh, it's something that has to have a conversation. I had a conversation with my wife about it a week or two ago. Um uh when everybody's putting the black square up mm-hmm. on social mm-hmm. media and I asked her about it cuz she had seen it before me. And, uh, I, I dug in a little bit to figure out what was going on. And, um, so we had a long conversation about it, you know, because I didn't know what it was. Um, I saw a few people post it and a few people put some words on there and just, uh, say a few things. And, and I didn't say anything to anybody on social media about it because, uh, I've noticed even if you are respectful and you're, and you're inquisitive, sometimes even your questions can be taken the wrong way. Um, well, the biggest problem with social media is that you can't hear tone of voice. So yeah. you're, you're reading words and whatever mood you're in. And I mean, I'm guilty of this. I will look at something and I'll, you know, I'll think someone has typed this nasty message to me. And I, I'll even talk to them in person. Like, no, that's not how I meant it at all. But and so you've got to be careful not to read the tone into it. But it's so difficult because so many of our social cues still come from the tone of voice of the person who's speaking. So um, I guess that'd be a a good place for us to land this plane is um, Alex and Brandon, how how do we approach these conversations? How do we, how do we carry ourselves? How do we make sure our tone of voice is a certain way so that when we do have the conversation, we're not coming across as patronizing the other person or patronizing a movement. Um, uh, you know, I've heard uh, the most common response I've heard from people who say something and then get backlash is like, well, I'm not racist because I have a black friend. Right. Well, well good oh, for yeah. you. Okay. What? la dee freaking da You know, <laughs> you have a black friend. That's nice. Oh, you get along with black people. That's great. Well, that sounds a little patronizing. <laughs> yeah. so, a little bit. so how do you carry yourself? Uh, how do you speak? How do you approach a conversation or a person or, or an issue without coming across sounding or seeming like you're patronizing. I'll start this off. So uh, something that I've learned throughout this, well, it's not, I guess it's just not learned throughout this, but realizing is I think while while mentally and getting physically tired of just having to go through this. And before I think we even start this is we have to step back a little bit because our spiritual health and our mental health is important too. So we got to step back and ask God, Hey God, I need some, I need a little wisdom here. I need, I need a breath, breath of fresh air here. Cause you don't want to go at this half cocked or ignorant about things or where you're, where you're so mad and fed up. Cause I mean, what's that going to do in the, in the, in the moment you're going to be so mad. What you're trying to convey though, it may be good how you're sounding and how you say things that's going to be taken a whole different way. I mean, we just talked about it, not but a minute ago, about people read things in their emotions. So if our emotion sounds mad, it doesn't matter how good that content is, they are going to think you're mad at them and not, and maybe they agree with you and like-minded and they just know you and they know that you're mad about the situation, but why would you want to even try to question that at all? Why would you want to get twisted? Hey, you have a mad sounding tone. 
I don't know if you're mad at me because I don't know what I'm talking about because I said these things. And so we just have to, we have to take a step back of ourselves and think, Hey, how would I want someone to talk to me? How it just goes back, how you want to be treated and you want to be respected. So we have to come at this at a respectful way. And I think the way that we don't patronize people and we use those phrases, because I have black friends. I mean, that's a, that's something we use when, I was in middle school and high and elementary school and all that. We would say these things. I would, well, I know, I would know people who would say that because I'd be the black friend and they would say, Hey, Alex is my black friend over there. So I would be the recipient of that. But I think what you do is you, you just have these clear conversations with people because, and you have to, you can't only look at it from your viewpoint, even though you know your viewpoint might be right, but you have to look at it from their viewpoint also about, whatever whether it's this topic or something else because they fully believe whatever they're saying so we can't just go half cocked at it and just think hey they're completely we know they're wrong but we can't just flat say hey you're completely wrong about this we just we have to be at an understanding here when we're having these conversations with each other yeah for me it's you know the biggest thing i've had to learn even as i've engaged in conversations with people face to face be humble um, humility is a big factor into it. Understand. And, and for me, you know, like when I get into conversations with Alex, I have to understand when he and I are talking about these issues, he and I do have different perspectives because we've experienced life differently because of the color of our skin. You know, there are certain experiences that Alex is going to have that I don't. And I have to understand that and take that with humility and understand that, you know what, what works for me didn't work for him because it's, it's a, just a different, for one thing, not just because we have different color skin, but because we're different people. We come from different families, you know? And so what worked for our family and, and my family didn't work for his family. The other thing that I'll say is whenever you get into conversations or even as a youth pastor, as you're teaching on this, clearly define your terms. This is really key with any conversation. Because if you don't define the term and what you mean by when, when you say something, then that could cause and trigger a whole argument that maybe you two meant the same thing and you were just using a term and they didn't understand it. For instance, um, you know, now I'm not going to say whether I agree with this or not because I don't want to get into that, but you've heard this phrase a lot, defund the police, you know, going around a lot. Um, you know, and so I've had to ask people, what do you mean by that? Because my first thought is, you know, David, you and I have, and Alex, we've all, you know, a couple, one of the times that we've seen each other is at the March for Life in Richmond. You know, that's something we go to and we, we stand against, you know, and, and so we'll sit there and say, defund Planned Parenthood. And when we say that, we mean take away all the money. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't give, them, don't give them a dime. Yeah. And I've, I've learned that even within these groups that are calling for the police to be defunded, yes, there are some that are saying, we want to take away all the money. And there are others that are saying, no, just take away some of it. But they use like that. Lower for, their percentage of the budget. Exactly. Yeah. And this is where the English language, I think, does a disservice to us because we can use the same words to say different things. Hmm. And so, you know, I could easily jump down someone's throat who's saying defund the police and say, no, we need police. We need them. When they're not saying get rid of the police, they're saying, no, no, we just want to take away some of the funding. 
and we want to, you know, keep them on, give them some of the, just lower their budget a little bit, you know, and that's, I'm not going to get into that conversation. That's a can of worms, but that's an example of, you know, when you're having these conversations, define your terms so that you're both on the same page. I mean, I'm in a conversation right now with uh, my mentor on, and we're working out as, as we have both seen it from people that we've talked to so that when we talk together, we have the, the same definition. We're trying to work out a definition of what white privilege is, you know, so that as he and I engage in conversations, we know what we're referencing when we say that. And it just gives you that frame of reference. And that's, that's good for any conversation, any dis- disagreement or debate that you get into. Define your terms and agree on it so that you can both know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, people will say semantics, semantics, but I mean, they matter. Uh, and I think you and I, Brandon, had a conversation one or two weeks ago um, where uh, that that exact situation happened where we were both trying to say the same thing, but we were coming at it from two different angles. I think it was when we talked about systemic racism and cult versus cultural bias. Um, and we ba- we both basically were saying the same thing, but we had to go round and round and round and finally figured out we were both saying it. We just said it differently. So I would agree with you guys on that, on both of what you said. And I think, um, as I listened, the, there's a verse that comes to mind that I think we should just not, not park on, maybe launch from when we have these conversations. Um, I actually have it underlined in this Bible. Um, probably because my mom made me underline it when I was a kid. Uh, I was an angry child, but, uh, it's, it's simple. It's, it's Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of this comes from. A lot, of, a lot of the issues that we're facing, and this one particularly as volatile as it is, I think if we come at conversations and situations with, it, with an attitude of trying to live peaceably with all, I think that might quell some of the fire uh, that's happening. And, and I don't mean peace as in lack of conflict right Uh, because not all conflict is bad but when you have a disagreement or just a misunderstanding come at it with an attitude of peace and wanting to come to an understanding i i think that is if if any direction we can push our teens yeah that's the direction we need to push them amen i think you also need to couple that with uh the second greatest commandment love your neighbor Yeah, you know, and that's a big part of as you're for the youth pastors that are out there that are listening to this. I I can't tell you how many times in in my lessons within the last two years that I come back to the two greatest command. My kids, I think, are getting tired of it. Don't you think, Alex? Every I mean, almost every other lesson I'm asking, what's the second greatest commandment? But now they are. They're gonna hear it from me this Wednesday also. So <laughs> you know, but they know it, and I can I can trace. That back, I mean, Jesus is so right when he says, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets fall under these. Mm-hmm. If you're doing those two things, you're getting it right. Yeah, that's why I like that phrase in that verse, as much as it depends on you. Amen. There's only yeah. so much we can do, guys. There's there's really only so much we can do. And, and, and so if we, if we come at it with that attitude, I think that, that that's how we be, become a part of the solution instead of extending the problem. So um, I, I really appreciate uh, both of you. 
I love both of you guys. I can't wait till we're able to hang out in proximity again. Um, I enjoyed hanging out with you guys last week, and um, I'm excited to to see what the Lord is going to do in and through us in the future. And my prayer for this particular episode is that when people hear it, they are motivated towards love and good works, and uh, that they would be uplifted and be inspired to be a part of the solution as well. So I really appreciate you guys. Thank you for coming on. Well, guys, I am super thankful for Brandon Alex's heart uh, when it comes to addressing this issue of racism, specifically in a youth ministry context. And I, I was really thankful for his humility and understanding that we're not going to have all the answers um, and we're not going to be able to fix it 100%. But just because we can't fix it 100% doesn't mean we shouldn't be proactive and trying to minister to teens and let them understand uh, the negative effects and the destructiveness of racism. And when it comes to a youth ministry and when it comes to outside of youth ministry and how that will impact the world around them. And to be honest, quite honest with you, if you have a racial, uh, a racist heart, how that is completely contradicting what scripture said and what Jesus calls us to be as Christ followers. So it's very thankful for Brandon and Alex. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a great parallel between uh, sharing the gospel with someone and having this conversation. Uh, one of the things that we we talked about was the fact that there has to be some kind of a relationship there for you to have a productive conversation. And, and that goes for sharing the gospel with someone, and that goes for pretty much any, any emotionally charged conversation. If, if it's got a potential to be an emotionally charged conversation, I think it's imperative that you have a prior established relationship with someone. You don't just walk up to them on the street and be like, hey, let's talk about this now. I have no idea who you are. You have no idea who I am, but let's go at it. (laughs) That's not going to be productive. Um, But I really appreciate both of them. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what God does in and through them and their ministry in the future. And I pray that this conversation is beneficial to those of you who listen and that it can spark positive and constructive conversations within your ministry context as well. Absolutely. Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in. And you do not want to miss our next episode as we're going to be talking with Dr. Andrew Root about his new book called The End of Youth Ministry. So stay tuned to our next episode.